Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, welcome everybody. I'm here with my new friend, Richard Roberts. Um, Richard, I've just enjoyed, I just finished up, and it's, I've got, it's got highlights and dog ears and all, <laughs> all kinds of things. Your wonderful book here, Cultivating God's Presence, Renewing Ancient Practices for Today's Church. And uh, actually, interestingly enough, a number of people passed this book on to me and said, you really need to read it. So it's, you know, it's one thing when one person goes, oh, you should read it. It's another thing when you get surrounded by people saying, this is an important piece of work. So um, it's been really, really helpful, you know, on my journey with regards to the OMS and thought it would be really helpful for you to have a chat, um, for us to have a chat together and talk to our, each other and, and to our listeners about rules of life and new monasticism and all of that. So first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Richard. Thank you, Jill. Well, it's, uh, it's great to be with you. Um, so I'm speaking to you uh, as a storm rages outside. Uh, I'm, I live in the southwest of England on the border of uh, Devon, Dorset and Somerset uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm, uh, I've, I've got three adult kids, eight grandchildren. Um, I uh, lead a, a house church, which I say lead it, it basically runs itself um i'm i'm involved with uh dialogue between the catholic church and the new charismatic churches uh, and i know ian nicholson from 24 7 in that context because we're involved in that together um i'm also involved in organizing some conferences um in rome and the u.s and with a retreat center in the U.S., but I uh, the, the book arose out of my involvement with Father Brennan, uh, where I'm a trustee, which is a retreat center in West Wales, and we have a lot of people who uh, are involved with us at Father Brennan. They come on retreat, um, and so I wrote the book during lockdown, really just to get behind what's the essence of, of what's happening at Felder Brennan? Because often people think, well, you know, is it, is, is it just about going on pilgrimage there or can, can I have the same experience uh, where I live? So I wrote the book to look at how do we cultivate God's presence uh, in our streets, in our, in our cities, in our towns, in our homes, in our places of work. So, uh, so that's that's me. That is you. So you've been on a journey, um, your own spirituality from more of a evangelical, but stepping into sort of what we would call a new monasticism. Tell us a little bit just about your journey. What's that been like for you? Okay, so um, my my journey really, um, I, I, I've been, uh, I was converted through um, an evangelical church. And I still regard myself as an evangelical because the cross is central, the Bible is important. Um, I then came into charismatic experience and still regard myself as a as a charismatic, although I'm a, probably quite a quiet charismatic. Um, and but but I I discovered the Desert Fathers. Um, in the late 1990s, um, I didn't literally discover them because they've been dead for many years. 
but I uh, I came across them and I just liked their their approach to to the Christian life, which was very much about um, about knowing God, about having practical wisdom for living, and being able to communicate that to the people that they encountered along the way. So um, I I was very much into sorry if using all these terms, I was very much into Ignatian spirituality. And then in the late 90s, we went on retreat to Falder Brennan before it was popular and famous in the days when you could be there on your own. And um, my wife found a book in the bookshop about Celtic Christianity. She said to me, I think you ought to, you ought to read this. And I said to her, no, I don't want to read it. I've <laughs> read far too many books on spiritual. <laughs> I'm still trying to work them out because... Um, for me, I, I love that phrase in Eugene Peterson about um, about finding the mystery in the mess. And, you know, in the mess of life, I was still trying to find the mystery through all the things that I'd learned up to then. But she said, no, you ought to read it. And I read Ian Bradley's Colonies of Heaven, which is a very non-romanticised book about the Celtic church. And I thought, boy, there's so much here that I need to learn. I was well we were leading a church another church at the time and um i just thought there are so many lessons in celtic christianity um the idea that somehow as a group of believers we we form a colony of heaven and that we we are uh, sort of god's god's kingdom uh being um actualized and um the idea that that places could become uh, in themselves uh, ho holy places where God's presence was experienced. So that set me off on a 20-year journey. And um, so when we moved to where we now live, and eventually we, we uh, started another church, we decided we'd do it a bit differently and um, we would base it on uh, it was essentially rule of life. We don't want to use those terms because they scare ordinary people. So we have a set of values that um, try to live out the gospel. And so I've just been trying to work that through the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, so I've been part of this movement that's been called uh, New Monasticism. Um, I think I'm, I'm not so keen on the that term as a lot of people. Um, I think what we're looking at is actually monastic-inspired spirituality. But there are very few of us who are celibate, for example. Um, there are very few of us who take vows of poverty. But what we've done is we've adapted those things, uh, which is appropriate so that we can live them in, in ordinary life. A bit like um, some, say the Benedictines have their, their oblates who are people who try and work out the vow of Benedict in, or the, the rule of Benedict in everyday life. So um, I think that, that, to me, that's what new monasticism is because it's a very catchy title. So it's <laughs> I love well, I the definition. You actually wrote, it's rather like having ancient precious stones reset in a contemporary piece of jewelry so that it's refashioned for our setting and context. I thought that was just such a beautiful way. 
you know, this monastic-inspired spirituality in terms of how we can, you know, live into some of these, all, all the babies that got thrown out with the bathwater at the Reformation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you said something a little bit in one of your the chapters about new monasticism being more of an organic, bottom-up, people-led movement. Uh, is there, could you just kind of talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that monasticism has always come from the margins. So, uh, I mean, monasticism actually predates the the Desert Fathers. We think of it starting with the Desert Fathers, but there were um, what they would call household ascetics, uh, people who in their own home lived lives of prayer and fasting, uh, really dating back to New Testament times. And um, so, but it's always been something that started with a few people who want to uh, be sure that they're embodying the gospel. So, you know, St. Francis is, is an example. Um, he was a bit of an extremist, in my opinion, but um, he, um, uh, so, so he just started with a few people. And, and eventually it grew and grew and grew and grew into an order that was so big that many cities in Italy couldn't raise an army. So there were so many young men in who'd become Franciscan friars that that uh, it, it wars actually ceased in, uh, in 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 Italy as a result. But it wasn't because somebody had thought, well, we better you know we better renew the church. It wasn't because the Pope decided to renew the church or or a bishop. It, it always starts with, with ordinary people taking the gospel seriously. And of course, um, that is contagious. Other people want it. And I think one of the things that we've, as Christians, we've, uh, as we've more and more withdrawn from our communities, from our physical communities, we've tried to find ways to sort of market the gospel rather than to actually live the gospel in the midst of ordinary people around us and to pique their curiosity. And I think that, that if once people start doing that, other people, other Christians want to, to, to be a part of that. And I think that if you look at the history of, of many monastic movements, uh, or, or related movements such as the Jesuits, Ignatius of Loyola. You know, that just started with, with Ignatius and his experience, uh, a vision of, of, of Jesus, and um, they then became the, the, the missional movement of the 16th century. The Catholics were the only people who were sending people to China and um, to... Um, other other to India to other parts of the world. So it it always starts from the margins. It's not some scheme to renew the church. Yeah, comes up from the ground. And it's been interesting it watching. You know, I've been in in the movement myself probably for the last twenty years or so, and so it's been really interesting hearing story after story after story of people. Uh, my context has been, although I work interdenominationally, my context often is more the evangelical wing of the church. And so many evangelical charismatics going on the contemplative journey and this, 
you know, I think Richard Foster's seminal work, you know, Celebration of Discipline and the work of Dallas Willard and just, you know, this whole spiritual formation movement, you know, that sort of is a swirl around all of it as well. It's just a really interesting time watching just whole, you know, uh, sections of the church kind of set their hearts on pilgrimage and go yeah. on, on the journey. So it's, it really is quite movemental. Let's, let's talk for a couple of minutes about rule of life, because you said in your book that any serious attempt to engage with monastic practices today has to begin by considering what a rule of life might look like in our context. So for those of us who are not from, you had said, you know, regular church people are afraid of that phrase, rule of life. So what, tell us, what is a rule of life? Okay. So a rule of life is not primarily a set of, of rules. It comes from a Latin word regular, which just means uh, really how do, how do we measure, how do we assess what we're doing, how we're living. So it gives us a set of, of um, practices to enable us to evolve. So usually a rule of life will have things in it like a rhythm of prayer. So it may be, uh, the aspiration might be to, to come back to prayer three times a day. Um, you might start praying once a day, but, but you have this aspiration to, uh, you have this goal that you're, you're aiming towards. It w might include practices of, of hospitality. So there may be some practical things in it that you'll do to engage with p other believers, but also with people uh, in your community and so um, what it then does is it says well how do I how do I love my neighbor as as myself what does that look like it'll have practices of of availability uh, perhaps um, some practices that include things like accountability uh, how do we work out humility um, in in practice uh, how do we listen to other people and not feel that we are the, the font of all all wisdom? Um, uh, and because we need that hugely in our context, don't we? Because everything's polarised, you know. Um, we don't listen to each other. We 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 just live in echo chambers. So, you know, how do how do we work these things through in life? And it it, it doesn't need to be hugely complicated. Uh, so the order of the mustard seed, you just have this set of, of um, I believe it's six, yeah. am I right? Six, yeah, six things that you ask people to, how do I work this out in my context? And actually it then simplifies life because, um, you know, we, we often have values in life. Like, you know, if you're a humanist, your, your values are, I will unconditionally love people, secular humanist, and I will also be genuine. I'll be open and honest. And of course, those things conflict, don't they? Hmm. If I say to you now, you know, on the screen, uh, you wouldn't think I was a grandfather by the way I look, then you would be conflicted. <laughs> between honesty, um, genuineness, and between unconditional love, so there's always there are all these these conflicts of our values. But what a rule of life does is it says, look, this is how I'll work through these things in my context, 
So, um, you know, Jesus said his yoke was easy, didn't he? His burden was light. So it's an attempt to say, how do I live out these things where I live, in in my family or, you know, uh, in in my city or in, in my town, in my place of work, in my church, with the reality of the people around me? So it's not some sort of idealized uh, thing that we aim at, and it does take a life to work out. It isn't the first stage of something; it is it is the whole thing. Um, but I think that's one thing that we can learn from these um, monastic orders. How have you found that helpful in your own life, having a rule of life? Right. So um, one of the things that I talk about. Uh, Hospitality is something that is part of of, of our church's um, uh, set of values, rule of life, whatever you want to call it. So uh, one of the things that I aspire to is, is uh, interruptibility. I thought I'd made up that term, but I think Pete Gregg actually uses it somewhere. So I probably pinched it from him. Maybe he pinched it from you. You never know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't got a clue. I, I just, so it's, it's like I've got my plans and my, my purposes and I'm doing the things that I want to do. And then what if somebody demands some attention from me? So that doesn't mean that I then have to always be at other people's beck and call. Uh, and, and I'm not always at other people's beck and call. But what it does is it's a reminder that Although I may not want to stop and join in with something or be part of a conversation, it it's, might be part of being hospitable to somebody else to allow myself as a rather driven person to uh, be interruptible and for my plans to be held lightly and for me to be a bit more flexible. So, you know, we see that with Jesus, don't we, on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, and then suddenly, um, you know, an elderly woman touches his cloak and, and he stops. He, he lets his plan be interrupted. So, uh, so that, that's just a very small practical example. I mean, another would be uh, rhythm of prayer. So I use the Father Brennan rhythm of prayer three times a day. It, I'm not very good at praying. It doesn't take me very long I try not to answer emails in the middle of praying. You know, I'm, I'm so just a good practice. <laughs> I always have a guitar. And I try not to pick up the guitar. You know, I, it sort of, but it, but it really helps me. It really focuses me on God. So, so those are just a couple of, of um, simple examples. You talk about a couple of examples. I think you used a phrase in the book that I found really, really helpful. You talked about a rule of life being an integrating framework. Can you? So it's not just one or two practices. There's something about the whole that's helpful. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So um, for a lot of people say they may discover forms of contemplative prayer and find them really useful. And they may use those forms of contemplative prayer and and that's that's really great but then if you if you hitch that to um certain practices say of of availability 
you know how how do I um, uh, how do I make myself available to to the Spirit? How do I make myself available to to God? Um, how do I read Scripture with with an ear that's open to my being changed? Um, and and th and then you link that with vulnerability. How do I how do I get to admit to people where I'm finding certain things in life difficult? Um, generosity, you know. How do I? What am I going to do with my time and my money? How am I going to? How am I going to contribute it to to other people at home and abroad? And I think if you if you work out a, an integrated um, spirituality, then these practices they, they reinforce one another. So your rhythm of prayer will will make you more attuned to the spirit. Um, I, I could give examples, but I, I think it's just that that you get you get used to listening not just to what's going on around you or observing it but but wonder what the holy spirit's doing in this situation what was god trying to say to me and i expect we've all had those experiences i know i have of where you you feel you need to just say one phrase or one sentence and to somebody and um uh we haven't got a lot of time but i had an experience of that on a train a couple of years back, I had 15 minutes with a with a guy who was ranting, and I felt God wanted me just to say something. Mm. And then he ended up, um, uh, well, he basically ended up uh, acknowledging the reality of God in his life. And he, he kissed my hand, which I've never had anybody do before. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's how do you? But but that that sort of thing doesn't just happen. It happens as we train ourselves continually to listen to God, to listen to scripture, to come back to prayer, to become aware of God's presence around us and not to feel that we're having all the time. It's not the energy that we're putting into things. It, it's that we're, we're following Jesus slowly th mm. through, through our days, becoming more attuned to the spirit, so I think that you know our contemplative practices, they 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 dovetail with the way that we are our activists, the way that we live out our, our life day day by day, and together. You see, the trouble with activism is that you know, as Pope Francis said, we get you can get so caught up with the with the work of the Lord that we forget the the Lord of the work. And so we we need a balance between the two, I think. And that's what a rule of life will do for you, or does for you. I, I don't know whether that's what you found, but... Uh, that's that's wonderful. Nice. Yeah, no, very much so. I think it just kind of holds holds everything. To, it does, it reinforces each other and, and holds uh, holds us, even in some of the tensions and the paradoxes of it all, and, and uh, keeps us... Um, you had said one thing that I, I really loved. You said, essential characteristic of good theology is that it keeps the love of God at the forefront of our thinking. And I think, you know, when we, we're thinking about how we're living 
with a rule of life, a set of values and practices that kind of helps us. We've got the burning yes inside of us that then helps us say no to all the other competing voices and, and values. And, uh, mm. But it does. It, it, it reminds us of his presence and holds us in the love of God. You know, that, mm. that um, yeah. Anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, thin places. So I've not yet been to Feldy Brennan. I've been told to go to Feldy Brennan many times by many people. <laughs> so I'm sure a pilgrimage is in my future. But so that is a place that, that many see and have experienced as a thin place. And I've, I've experienced other ones. I've been on the Holy Isle of Lindisfarne. I've climbed up Dunai on Iona and have these, these places where it just feels like, oh, the, you know, the Lord is in this place. Talk to us about the Celtic understanding, the Celtic Christian understanding of thin places. Okay, so um, the, the Celtic church, which, um, you, you know, existed in what we call the Dark Ages, um, essentially people were evangelized from a pagan background, and in their pagan background, um, in my opinion, rightly, they saw not that heaven was up there in the sky somewhere, but that heaven was a reality that's actually coexisting with this physical reality. So, you know, in the in the Bible, we've got Elisha's servant seeing the armies of God on the hill when the veil is withdrawn from him. So, um, the idea of a thin place is that that veil that normally masks the spiritual reality from us becomes thin and and we we see the spiritual reality around us and so that um prayer is easier um it i mean it's one of those things that i in one sense i think with father brennan people go there expecting something and I, there's a sense which i don't quite like that you know you we go there to seek God and that's it and if, if God just points you to a book in the bookshop like he did to me that can change your life you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's but not I, some I, sort of ephemeral touchy-feely no you know. yeah 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 but but I, there have been times like we have a chapel there it, it had all started with St Brinac who in the sixth century was an Irish monk who uh, went to, to pray up on the hill uh, above where Fadi Brennan now is. And um, he he went to, to the to the valley, Pont Fine, and um, nobody could live in the valley because th there was the howling of demons in the valley. And he drove the demons out of the valley and he prayed up on the hill and people would see visions of angels or they'd see literal angels uh, descending onto the hill, and it became known as Carningley, which is the Hill of Angels. Mm. And um, so when Peter and Fulda Mould, um, Fulda had a, a vision of uh, a farmhouse and uh, could never find this farmhouse, gave up on it, but eventually looked in a, an estate agent's window in in Pembrokeshire and saw this farmhouse. He said, that's the, that's the one in the vision. So they bought it and they converted it into Falder Brennan. And there have been times when, I know I, I've taken people there on retreat, excuse me, and um, 
been leading retreat, gone into the chapel, and the presence of God has been so heavy that I've had to get out because I knew I wouldn't be able to lead the rest of the retreat. I, it, it can wipe you out, the presence of God. And so I think with Father Brennan, the thing is not, that's what God wants for our homes. Yeah. You know, he wants our homes to be thin places. So we might go and experience Father Brennan as a thin place, but then it, it's through the rhythm of prayer and the rule of life that, that somehow God infuses the atmosphere uh, of the places where, where we live. And, and that's, that's a, a big part of, um, of, of what Father Brennan is about, I think. It, it's meant to be unable to be, to be exported. And that's really why I wrote the book, was to say to people, look, if you want to cultivate the presence of God, in your life, in your home, in the place where you work, in your street, in your city. This, this is the way the Celtic church would have told you to do it. They'd have told you to adopt the, these practices. And, and, and it's, it happens slowly, as opposed to revival, which happens quickly and is often quickly gone. Um, Cultivating God's presence, becoming a thin place, as a, as a you know your home, your church, wherever, that that takes uh, time and investment. And I use the word cultivating intentionally because you know cultivation is is a slow process, isn't it? Of planting and weeding and and watering, and um, you know Paul Paul uses that analogy, doesn't he? he says. I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And I think it's that idea that somehow we can, we can have that experience uh, of our places being a thin place. And I think particularly as we adopt the idea that we're here to bless our communities, not to, con not to condemn them, but to bless them and partly to speak blessing as well. The, the prayer, you know, the prayers of blessing that we find in, in scripture over the places where we, we live. But yeah, so Father Brennan has become a, a bit of a, uh, I suppose, a paradigm for, for that, um, uh, that type of uh, theology and experience. And I think the other thing is that it's brought home to us the importance of place because particularly as evangelicals, you know, we live in A, we work in B, we worship in C. But but God's actually rooted us in in a in a place and it's it's that place that where we want to see the presence of God. Mm -hmm. The knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth. <laughs> Including my home. Yeah, wonderful. Yes. Now you've got, so Father Brennan offers some training and uh, tell us a little bit about that, what's available out there. Yeah, we have a thing called Local Houses of Prayer, which you can find if you go on to the Father Brennan website. And um, we, so what we do is we just train people in, in uh, forming prayer, uh, small prayer groups, um, 
praying blessing um, and so and we we partner with we partner with Tia Fund who've adopted uh, local House of prayer we partner with a big mission organization in the US with mercy ships we we do training all over the world we I think last week we were in Egypt um, so um, the idea is not to produce some Faldi Brennan centered network the idea is to produce local networks in in countries or in regions or in organizations uh, but we we provide some of the training for that and it would and it I mean it dovetails really well with what you're doing in 24 7 it, it's on the same page with a few uh few tweaks and <laughs> Cousins, we're cousins in the family. We yeah. are cousins, indeed. <laughs> That's wonderful. Richard, thank you so much. It's been um, really, really... I, I love the language of cultivation as well, personally. I think that as we're developing sort of the... What hopefully will be the mother house here for the Order of the Mustard Seed and 24-7 at Waverly. Honestly, what the Lord's just been saying to me over and over again is cultivate this place, cultivate this place, cultivate this place. So I, I personally found your book and your teaching really encouraging and helpful for, for me and, and for us as we're trying to steward you know, what God is giving us to steward right now. I'm wondering, do you think you could pray for us as we, as we close? Yes, I will, yeah. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of knowing you. Well, we've really no idea why uh, you've uh, chosen us, but we just thank you, Lord, that you want us to know you and to uh, carry your presence into the places where we, we live. So we, we just thank you and we pray, Lord, that you'll uh, help us to find the next step for us personally. But we pray for the order of the mustard seed. We just want to thank you for the work that's being done, for the amazing things that are happening. And we just pray for your hand to be, to continue to be uh, on this group of people. And we pray, Lord, that we, you, you will bless them and I, I bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.